Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you, my friend? How are you, my friend? Welcome. This is the Breakfast with Champions podcast, one of the most unique, amazing, and powerful podcasts you'll ever come across in your entire life. Listen, we bring you motivation, education, and inspiration, and ultimately give you an opportunity to get a seat at the table, to hang out with some of those that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. What makes this podcast so unique and incredible is we have over a hundred different thought leaders that are constantly delivering amazing, over-the-top, powerful, and impactful content in bite-sized nuggets that you can absorb, take action on, and implement in your life. So with that said, make sure you filter through. There's going to be some of these thought leaders, these experts in their industries that you're ultimately gonna connect with. You're gonna totally, totally resonate. It's gonna totally be your vibe. And then there's gonna be other ones that you're gonna be like, eh, you know what? I like them, but I don't know if I love them. And that's what's great about Breakfast with Champions is we have something for everyone. So make sure you sift through, find the ones that you love, and know that they'll be coming back every single week to be able to deliver to you the motivation and education and inspiration that you need. With that said, my name is Glenn Lundy. I am your host. Super excited to connect with you. And let's kick off today's episode of Breakfast with Champions. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, the next 30 minutes, I'm going to kind of you know, share a little bit on you know, kind of building on that perspective. And I want us to think about you know, times in our lives where we, you know, we were asked to do something or we were challenged or we were told that you know, this is an opportunity. Because you know, for me, I'm thinking back, and it was 2004, and I had uh, worked at, you know, left high school or left college with a degree in computer science but couldn't get a job in my field, and I ended up working for UPS, uh, wearing those short brown shorts and delivering packages uh, here in Northern Virginia, and I fell in love with the job. It paid really well. I was able to, to leverage my you know, athletic background playing college hockey and was able to really excel, and I was part of the union and really taking on some big tasks, but I, I knew in myself that if I didn't get into my career field of choice, that I would probably you know, kind of ride that out for the rest of my life. And I ended up taking uh, a 80% pay cut uh, one year after getting married uh, to work at an overnight help desk uh, for the US government uh, in cybersecurity. And to clarify, I took 0.0, .0 classes in cybersecurity in college. And, and really, I was hired on the premise, A, that I thought I, thought I could get a secret security clearance, and because I knew nothing about cybersecurity, they didn't have to unlearn me or unteach me anything. And so the day I remember it as clear as, as yesterday is I was in the help desk, I was working there for about six months and it was a Friday afternoon around 11 a.m. And I, I am not a morning person, I am trying to be better at waking up early in the morning, but I am not a morning person, but my shift was the 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. shift. So as you can imagine, not a morning person, having to compute, commute into the Pentagon. Uh, and for those that don't live in Northern Virginia, uh, I live 22 miles from the Pentagon parking lot. Uh, and on average, it would take an hour and 30 to an hour and 45 minutes each way. Uh, I drove a 1998 Jeep Wrangler, which was a stick shift. And so as you can imagine, it was a very joyful you know, 4 a.m. as I would leave every morning to this overnight help desk, making 80% less money 
that I made as a UPS driver. And, and on that Friday afternoon, six months after I started this job, the, the head of our help desk walked in, and there was nine of us on the floor at the time, and he just simply said, hey, can I have everyone's attention? I need someone's help. And he said, the first one to raise your hand will take, get this opportunity. And the opportunity is, I need you to be in Korea on Monday teaching a four-day class on the software that you are all supporting right now. I don't believe the word now came out of his mouth and my hand was up. Now, I would tell you I was the second least experienced on that help desk. And I raised my hand, and I, and I, I remember he had a little smirk on his, uh, on his uh, face. And his name is Joel and still a friend to this day. And Joel looked over me and was like, Fanzo, you, you think you can handle this? You think you can be in Korea on Monday? And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's flights there. And he was like, do you have a passport? And I paused, and I was like, no, but I've been to the Caribbean before. Does, does that count? <laughs> and he was like, no, but I think we could probably get you a same-day passport, you know, here in Washington, D.C. Um, if you think you can have it, you raised your hand first. I'm, I'm a man of my word. And I will tell you, I raised my hand, and I, as I took my hand back down, and I, and I thought for a second as I, you know, opened uh, my, I remember looking over, and at the time, you know, of course, we didn't have uh, cell phones or texting back in 2005, and I, I remember opening up, you know, my little AOL Instant Messenger, shout out to all those millennials that loved and lived the AOL Instant Messenger world, and I opened up my AOL Instant Messenger, and I remember messaging my wife at the time and said, I'm going to Korea on Monday. And her reply back was, LOL, LOL, yeah, right. And then she replied back, you mean we're having Korean barbecue? And I will tell you, part of that was because that was what my experience was outside of the country. And, and I remember you know, the rest of that day until my 3 p.m. shift ended, the idea for me was, OK, Brian, you raised your hand. Na now what? Now what does this mean? And I, and I remember I walked to each one of the, the senior members on our team's uh, help desk uh, section and said, hey, do you have any notes that you would love you know, to give to me that you want the, the people that are calling us and annoying us? You would love them to know about this software that I'm going to be training them on? And a couple of them gave me those notes and said, yeah, ooh, if we could solve these problems, the people, a lot less people would come you know, and, and raise their hand or come talk to us. And I remember being like, okay, that works. And I, and I went to the, the, the downstairs, uh, you know, into the basement and asked them if they would mind uh, printing out the manual for the software that we had because, you know, at the time there, there was no manual on my desk or manual that I was using. And I remember the person looking at me and being like, that's 105 pages that you need printed out front and back. I was like, yep, I have a very long flight to Korea. And that next day I sat in Washington, D.C. for about six and a half hours to get my same-day passport, you know, spending the, the government's money and time there. And I got my passport, and multiple hours later, I jumped on a flight to Seoul, Korea. I landed in Seoul, Korea uh, late Sunday evening, and I remember getting off the, the plane and, and walking outside and saying, well, they told me I need to, you know, jump on a high-speed train uh, south to a, a, a small city called Daegu, where our U.S. military base was. And I was walking around, and, and part of my uh, you know, ADHD superpower and part of the chaos that I live in is I'm very much into kind of living in the moment and rolling with the punches. And that's a, a really better way of saying I'm not a great planner. I'm one that's not great at I'm the person still 
now it's been to 76 countries, I often land, and as we're taxiing to the, the you know, the uh, our gate, I often go, oh yeah, wh I wonder what hotel I'm staying at. I wonder what my, my agent booked me for this, this week. And that's always been my MO. And I remember walking around outside in, in Seoul, Korea, and just loving the, the speed and the pace. It felt very much like New York City uh, with a lot more bikes and a little bit less honking. Uh, maybe, maybe the same amount of honking. But, uh, and I'm in Seoul, and I remember walking around, and, and, I, and I saw a, a Pizza Hut and a TJI Fridays. And I was like, okay, I, I think I'll be able to make this work. Uh, and I, I can tell you about the Pizza Hut pizza. I had a, a whole different uh, segment. But I, I spent about 30 minutes walking around realizing that the high-speed train was not very close to the airport, and apparently I needed to plan this out better. But I, I was able to get on that high-speed train. I was able to re make it down to this the military base there in Daegu, Korea. And I spent the next four days, five days, working really hard to not only study the curriculum, but to embed myself with the Marines that I was teaching. I was teaching some of the brightest and, and most amazing uh, you know, people in the world, those that have protected us, and, and shout out to all of the, the military, military families and first responders that are in this room, or if you are a family member or a friend of them, we, you know, we appreciate you, we are, are thankful for you, and we are, you know, are blessed to be able to do things like Breakfast with Champions because of the sacrifices that each and every one of you make. And I remember part of my you know, goal and part of my thinking was on that flight as I was studying this manual, falling asleep. And I'm not a reader. I've actually never actually completed a book um, from cover to cover. It's part of my uh, ADHD and dyslexia. I struggle oftentimes to stay focused to read an entire book. But I, I was you know, taking notes and figuring out what I wanted to talk, with, to talk about and started you know, really working hard to integrate myself with some of the members, the 25 students that I had there um, in that class. And I remember every day completing class and having this feeling of, you know what, I got this. You know what, I got this. This is, this, you know, it was a lot of work, but you know what, I got this. And each day finished, I tell you, each day finished, and you know, I am in my early 20s, and I am teaching those that are in their early 20s. We are in uh, Korea, we are in a foreign country, and each night I had someone that would say, hey, we have to take you to this local place to eat, and we have to, we have to go over here, and of course we would have one or two or, or five drinks at the time, uh, and we would get to know each other. And then each day we'd show back up in the morning, and they of course were already out probably for four hours doing their parts of their other job before they had to sit in this nine-hour class to be certified in cybersecurity. And I remember towards the very last day, we, before we were giving the uh, certification exam, walking around and, and sitting with each one of the, uh, these amazing uh, Marines and asking them, you know, what, what other questions do you have? How can I help you? And I remember this feeling of them kind of looking at me. I mean, like, no, nah, we're good. We're good. And I, I couldn't tell if it meant, like, hey, like, you're not that important to us and we got nothing else to ask. Or it meant that they felt like they were prepared to take this test and set this up. And the long story of that piece of it was that, you know, 24 of the 25 passed their certification exam. And I remember as we were packing up the laptops, as I was, you know, thinking back on these last four days and realizing now I had to figure out how to get on this stinking high-speed train again and get back to Seoul, Korea, hopefully in time to fly back home uh, on that next day. I remember thinking about, you know, what, it, what, was, what would have been if I didn't raise my hand first. And I started thinking about the idea that I just had an opportunity and experience that even if I don't ever travel outside the country again, I wouldn't trade it for a minute sitting in that help desk 
especially that 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. shift. I remember even thinking that, like, you know what? Even if I had failed in Seoul, Korea at delivering what I had raised my hand to deliver for, at least I didn't have to get up early and commute into the Pentagon and deal with that traffic. Now, I will tell you, that was, you know, 16 years ago now that I look back at that idea that I, I raised my hand. I was on that help desk. I was the youngest on that help desk. And when my boss said the first one that raises their hand wins, I can tell you, I'm not sure if there's anything that would have come out of his mouth at that time that I wouldn't have had my hand up first. And that might sound like I was very confident in myself. I was very, you know, proud. But I will level set that, you know, my junior year in high school, my guidance counselor asked me what I wanted to do after high school. And I said, well, you know, after college, and I, I hopefully play hockey in college, and I don't think I even finished my answer, and he was laughing, like laughing out loud. And the context is my guidance counselor ended up being a really good friend. So I know it doesn't sound like something that you should probably do to a high school junior, uh, you know, laughing at them. And he's like, Brian, you have a 1.2 GPA. What do you mean you're going to college? And like he was like, that's, that, that's, we haven't discussed that. And I looked at him, I was like, well, what do I need to get into college? Like, I, I mean, I, I'm, I know lots of people that are, that I feel like they got into college and we ended up working that out and I ended up getting into school, two different schools, uh, West Virginia University and Radford University. Both of them I got in on probation. I got in on probation, mandatory study hall hours, you know, play, got to play college hockey. But all four years of college were a struggle. I, I, for some reason, thought college was the easy button. Like, all of a sudden, I get to pick my major. Oh, now this is all going to be easy. Now this is all going to work out. But it wasn't the case. And so if you think about this idea that I went and worked for UPS, and I, got an, I took an 80% pay cut to work a very painful shift and drive, you know, 21 miles. It takes an hour and 40 minutes here in Northern Virginia how was I confident? Like, what was, what, why did I raise my hand? Why was I so sure of myself on raising my hand? And I will tell you, part of it to me was looking back on my life, looking back at the things that I was able to accomplish. And interestingly enough, I never looked at myself as someone that failed at school. I never looked at myself as someone that thought college incorrectly or even someone that really screwed up their first two years of high school. I loved high school. I was perfect attendance. I was in the yearbook. I was the editor-in-chief of the school newspaper. I was a thespian. I played both baseball and hockey. I was a DJ at a skating rink. Yes, that's a flex right there, DJ at a local skating rink. But when I think back of it, for me, part of growing up, part of my, like, my being raised by my, my two amazing parents, and I'm the oldest of, of three boys, was my parents always really instilled in me to this, this idea of saying, you know, be unapologetic about who you are and never stop believing in yourself. Never stop believing that you can make something happen if you want to make it happen. Now, I'm here not to give fluff or say that, you know, we can, we can all, you know, individually change the world. But what I am here to say, and I want us to think about this in your life today, what are you doing daily? What are you doing hourly? How are you looking at that self-awareness, that self-love, that self-care, and thinking about it not in the sense of what am I doing that makes me more confident, but what am I doing to prepare myself so that when the opportunity arises, I can raise my damn hand. Now see, my mantra, the book that I'm writing, the podcast that I host, the keynotes that I give around the world, is called Press the Damn Button. And Press the Damn Button is a simple phrase. Uh, I, I think there's a small company, many of you might know, uh, called Nike. Uh, yeah, Nike, uh, you know, the little swoosh. Uh, I think they figured that out, that phrase out long before I ever uh, made my version of it, right? Just do it. And my version of press the damn button is actually much more 
than a marketing slogan, much more than a personal brand mantra, much more than me trying to get brands like IBM or Dell or Samsung, the brands that I speak in front of, trying to get them to tell their story online. For me, what it's about is this understanding and belief that we won't know what works, we won't know who we are and the impact we can make on the world until we're willing to try it, until we're willing to show up. You know, I raised my damn hand on that help desk, you know, at that, on that shift, partially maybe because I was willing to do anything else because I did not like that commute into the Pentagon. I did not like working that morning overnight shift. Maybe I raised my hand because I was jaded because I took an 80% pay cut that required me to have a security clearance, had me worrying about getting a DUI after one drink because I would lose my clearance. Now, the moral of that story and the story that I will wrap a bow on that first part is that I arrived back from Korea on Sunday. I was able to take Monday off, and I reported into the office on Tuesday, and I remember being told that I wasn't going to my desk. I needed to report to our government lead. And looking back, I probably should have been nervous, but I was actually excited. I was like, ooh, the government lead wants to give me time. I wonder what he has to say. Now, I remember telling some of my coworkers at the time that afterwards, and they were like, Brian, I would have been so nervous. But I got to go in and, and talk to our government lead and, and my boss. And my boss presented me and said, hey, the, the government you know, lead come back and said that we're willing to actually change the narrative. We're gonna, our contract right now is one training course a month for the rest of the year. And the person, Dan, who decided to not give us two weeks notice and to just quit our company with no notice at all, hence why that Friday morning they, they asked somebody to raise their hand because that morning the person that was doing that job for two years decided that they were just going to no-show and quit the, quit the role. And he said, Brian, I, the, not only does the government want to move this course from one class a month to four classes a month, but they also want to give you budget so that you can, you can create a syllabus and a curriculum built not around the software but built on what the feedback of the students had to say. And I remember like, oh, the students said something good. Like, what did they have to say? And what they said, each one of them said, was that they felt like they were heard. They felt like they weren't getting taught a piece of software. Rather, they were getting opened a mindset to understanding why this software was important, what role they will play, and the things that are most important for them to focus on. And I remember feeling like, wait, they got that from me? <laughs> like, I literally just asked some fellow coworkers. I studied the curriculum and realized I couldn't really, you know, I wasn't going to teach the, the boring, you know, uh, handbook of the software. And so I simply just asked them, like, what are the things that they do? And, and, and for context, a lot of these that I was teaching a, a very high-end, very elaborate cybersecurity tool that was going to protect the drone network and oftentimes, you know, be part of the software that would protect against rogue system detection and hacking. And many of them in the class not only had never taken a computer science course and never signed up for technology, but many of them, their proficiency of online was maybe AOL Instant Messenger or they, they Yahoo Groups, right? For those that are, were, you know, shout out to Yahoo Groups or even MySpace as MySpace was still around at that time. And I, you know, at that time, I didn't even have a Facebook because I didn't have an EDU address. But the thing that I remember, I remember this so deeply, was my government lead looking across at me and he said, I don't know how you got this role because apparently you're getting a promotion three levels above that help desk role you have. But whatever you just did to do this, don't ever stop doing that. And I remember thinking about that in that drive home that day. First of all, thinking about this idea that I got promoted three levels 
above where I was at. Now in context, I still was not making the salary that I was making at UPS. And so for me, that salary bump was not really something that was that exciting to me. It wasn't, it wasn't the idea that all of a sudden I was gonna get validated with money. It was rather the words that he said, this idea that what I did is what made me special. What I, my willingness to uh, attack this with my own approach, my own way uh, of, of making a difference and, and an impact. And when I look back across my life now, over, you know, the, especially the last you know, 20 years or so since I first attended college and university and, and now throughout my career, I, I ended up growing that team, that job that I got, I ended up growing that team to 130 plus direct reports. We ran a $19 million a year budget where I was training at every single military base across the United States, across the world. I had, I had employees traveling uh, mul multiple courses a week, sometimes four to five courses a week. And our job was to get the different branches of the military to collaborate and share cybersecurity policies. So if any in this, anybody in this room has worked in collaboration, um, I would like to argue that I might have had the hardest collaboration job in the history of the world because I had to get someone like the Army to share cybersecurity policies with the Navy. Yeah, let me say that again. I had to get like the Navy to share cybersecurity policies with the Marines. And oftentimes that, that, that junk stuff position, right? This idea of, of where everyone had been. But the funny thing about it and the way that I've approached so much of life, and I think this is where we can all start to sit in this self-improvement, sit in this self-care, this self-love, is that for me, raising my hand in that moment wasn't to prove that I was, should be paid more at that job. Raising my hand was not to make it known that I was better than anyone that was on my team. Raising my hand was not so that my boss would think I was a go-getter and I was, I was willing to do anything and everything for the position. Raising my damn hand was me betting on myself. Raising my damn hand was me betting on myself. And the more we think about our lives, the more we think about the impact and the difference we can make, the more we can tie back our success, the more we can tie back the journey that we've been on, is those moments and those times where maybe people are telling you you can't do anything, right? I, I host a club here called the Misfit Mafia. I'm a very proud misfit. And if you tell me I can't, that word, my, my daughters aren't allowed to say that word in my house. There is no can't in my house. That is a forbidden word in my house, much more so than other words that might be forbidden in other people's houses. And if someone tells me I can't, not only is that usually fuel and determination for me doing something, but it's also a reminder for me that it's someone else is look on how I approach things or how I show up. And I will tell you, to me, when we think about our being motivated, we think about making an impact on the world. We have to really sit in the fact that why are we investing in ourselves? Why are we here in this room? Why are we showing up in different areas? Why are we reading books to get better? And I think part of it ends up being that not only do we have to make sure that we are investing in ourselves, and, and I think one of the best investments that we can all make is self-awareness. Because I mentioned collaboration earlier, and I will tell you one of the secrets to collaboration that we can all embrace is that to create a great team, to put people around you, that together you can make a difference, that you can really rise up. It's not about getting a bunch of people that look like us or sound like us in the room. It's not about making sure that everyone knows who we are and what our goals are. Let's face it, I think all rooms, all boardrooms, all decision makings need more diversity, 
need more women's voices in there, need more people that aren't afraid to share a unique perspective. But one of the things that comes down to collaboration, and this is a lesson that I've learned many, many times over the years, is for us to collaborate with others, for us to build a great team, for us to be part of a great team, we first have to be self-aware enough to know what we don't know, to understand who we are and what we are not willing to do and what we are not willing to sacrifice. And in many cases, we, what, what we individually don't know, because here's the magic, here's the recipe that we all have to realize, is that when we understand what we don't know, we can surround ourselves with people that know what we don't. If you want to complete a puzzle, if you want to move forward, we have to be hyper self-aware. And that self-awareness also requires us to take action. And so when we think about this idea of showing up and being motivated and taking notes, I mentioned that my mantra, my podcast, the keynote I'm giving tomorrow there at the MGM Harbor, I've been able to give you know, presentations around the world in 76 countries. It might be just as easy as a Nike slogan, just do it. It might be sound as if Brian's just giving us permission to get started. Maybe press the damn button means something to someone else. But for me, that idea of pressing the damn button, that idea of putting our, ourselves out to the world, the concept of you know, investing in ourselves, spending our money and our time to make ourselves better, is all for nothing if we're not willing to raise our damn hand, if we're not willing to bet on ourselves. To me, as we look forward, if we want to make this world a better place, I would argue every single person in Breakfast Champions, every single person listening to this right now believes that the world needs to be a more empathetic place. We want this world to be a more empathetic place. And for many of us, that idea of making the world a more empathetic place is kind of like this idea of how do we change the world? And for many of us, we say we want to change the world, but then we come into this, this, this perplexity of, well, where do I start? How do I change the world? Who do I need to talk to? What stages do I need to be on to change the world? Brian, you're speaking in front of tens of thousands of people. That is how you change the world. Here's the thing. Changing the world isn't about others. Making the world a more empathetic place has nothing to do with starting with fixing other people or telling other people what they're doing wrong or having an arguments around things that ultimately make no bigger difference in the world. If we want to make the world a more empathetic place, the place that we start is with ourselves. Each and every one of us in this room right now, we can make the world a more empathetic place by simply doing one thing, and that's being self-aware and letting people in so they can be empathetic towards us, allowing them in to understand the shoes that we walk in, the experience that we have, the background that has brought us here today. And so I'm challenging each and every one of you in the room, everyone that's listening here on the podcast as well, is that I, I believe that together we will make this world a better place, that I believe that together, if we're each willing to step into new greatness and understand that power of empathy and putting ourselves out there and investing in ourselves, we will make a difference. But that difference will only happen if we're willing to raise our damn hand, if we're willing to bet on ourselves. And here's where I will leave you with this, and I, I'm excited to hand it off, is that if we are not betting on ourselves, if we are not pushing all in on who we are at our core, there is nobody else that's going to bet on us either. If you want others to bet on you, if you want to believe that you will make an impact in the world, if you truly want to take what we're learning, take what we're investing, I challenge each and every one of you to press the damn button, 
So raise your damn hand and remember that for us to make an impact on the world, it starts with ourselves looking within and embracing who we are. So with that, my name is Brian Fanzo. I'm excited to be here. I will be back uh, Thursday at 1 p.m. I do a segment every Thursday uh, at 1 p.m., Some usually around public speaking, a little bit around uh, digital empathy. Uh, this week coming up, I'm actually speaking at the, tomorrow at one of the largest trade shows in the world uh, over in uh, MGM Inner Harbor here in uh, Northern Virginia, uh, Maryland area. And I'm speaking in front of all the trade show and event experts and, and leaders about the creator economy and shrinking the distance with technology. So I'm gonna highlight that and a little bit of what I am going to be sharing there on Thursday at 1 p.m. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you wanna catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday, Saturday six to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.